I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerge from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, in the 12th episode of the series Ireland Untraveled, we uncover India's legacy in Ireland, the unlikely connection between two of their national poets, and what it means to be a nationalist today. 4th May 1799, along the banks of the Kaveri River, in the town of Sriranga Patna in present-day Karnataka. one could cut the tension with a knife at 11 am the british troops were briefed and a whiskey and a biscuit was issued to them before the signal to attack was given they intended to scale the walls of the fort and storm sirangapatna the intent was to take the town and defeat the feared ruler of mysore the ruler was shrewd and he hid himself among his cavalry by dressing up as a soldier he would have fooled the british easily but his chief minister mir sadiq betrayed him he not only withdrew the troops from their position under the pretext of paying them he also bowed to the ruler thereby unveiling his identity to the british the valiant ruler died on the battlefield before his martyrdom the ruler was approached for a disgraceful compromise or surrender by the british which he declined in these words single day life of a tiger is far better than that of 100 years of a jackal and hence the name tiger of mysore mysore the ruler was none other than tipu sultan and the british conquest of mysore was a seminal event in the history of british rule in india one of the key figures from the british side was arthur wellesley whose planning and logistics was key in breaching sirangapatna he went on to lead several wars for the british not only in india but in france spain portugal and the iberian peninsula far away from the kaveri river and the fertile lands of mysore i was in dublin ireland and i found myself taking a leisurely walk in phoenix park just north of the river liffey much to my surprise I found a 200 feet tall obelisk which commemorated Arthur Wellesley. Three of its sides displayed their key victories including the battle of Waterloo where Napoleon was killed. One of the sides aggregated Indian victories which included the fall of Tipu Sultan. In that moment as an Indian I found it strange to find a monument commemorating British colonial campaigns in India in a country which itself had been colonized by the british and i wondered what is india's legacy in ireland are we remembered as just another oriental colony the answer much to my relief came in another walk at a completely different park in dublin located right in the city center st stephen's green is a serene 22 acre piece of nature adjacent to the crowded and wildly popular grafton street and here I chanced upon the bust of one of India's most adored polymaths, 
he worked as a poet writer playwright composer philosopher social reformer and painter the black bust belonged to rabindranath tagore the bard of bengal winner of the nobel prize in literature in 1913 but why did the bust exist in the first place bang in the middle of st stephen's green lies a sculpture known as knife sketch which is dedicated to an irish poet dramatist and writer he was one of the foremost figures of 20th century literature and a driving force behind the irish literary revival much like arthur wellesley he too was born in dublin he is better known as wb yeats or simply yeats about 200 kilometers from dublin lies the town of sligo along the west coast of ireland in the middle of the town lies a bust of you guessed it rabindranath tagore the town also boasts of the statue of you guessed it again yeats two towns in ireland both boasting of busts and statues of two nobel prize winning poets who inhabited completely different worlds this is the story of the strange colliding worlds of tagore and yeats they first met in 1912 as they were traveling in london together tagore compared yeats's work to that of the greatest ancient indian poets he claimed that yeats was someone capable of comprehending the world through the untrammeled power of his soul equally as enthusiastic yeats described tagore as a great poet if not the greatest poet at the present time in the world they both left indelible marks on the literary landscape of their respective countries But what if I told you that there were sections of people in both India and Ireland that despised them for being anti-nationalists? It certainly came as a surprise to me. For how come the man who penned India's national anthem could ever be considered an anti-national? Primarily because their idea of what nationalism meant departed from the mood of the times. India and Ireland were both British colonies going through ferment and saw the beginnings of a cohesive national struggle for independence. Both Tagore and Yeats protested against the idea of a nation state based on a unique unitary culture. They were also against universalism, which proposed that national differences be minimized in favor of one uniform enlightened culture. They felt that the idea of nationalism in their respective countries favored one or the other approaches. They instead called for a balance of the opposites. Tagore advocated for a balance that neither had the colorless vagueness of universalism nor the fierce self-idolatry of nation worship one of the key disagreements with the anti-colonial nationalists was that they actually accepted the imperial way of thinking they agreed with westerners that the people of the east had a spiritual essence which was fundamentally different from the rationality and materialism of the west they denied however that this made them inferior and unchanging but argued instead that it gave them the potential to exceed the achievements of their conquerors thus the popular nationalism was defined with respect to the ideas of imperial powers and success was defined by exceeding the achievements of the imperialists tagore and yeats's idea of nationalism therefore culminated into renaissance movements Tagore was drawn into the Bengal Renaissance which was largely a movement of cultural nationalism in response to anglicization. It began in the mid 1860s 
partially through the efforts of Tregor's relatives who worked to protect traditional culture through yearly festivals. They featured Indian songs and poems, wrestling matches and exhibitions of local industry. Tagore joined the movement by writing poems inspired by ancient Indian forms and by arguing for the use of modern Bengal as the subject matter of a classic art. In Ireland, Yeats took part in a similar Irish renaissance that was initiated by the activities of the Gaelic Athletic Association and the Gaelic League in 1884 and 1893. It also attempted to revive traditional Irish sports, language, folklore, entertainment and dress, often through cultural festivals. Yeats joined in by writing poems and plays inspired by ancient myths and legend cycles and by founding the Irish National Theatre Society. Meanwhile, on the economic front, Tagore backed the Swadeshi movement while Yeats advocated for wearing of Irish cloth, purchase of Irish goods and development of Irish industry. But at the same time, they did not reject everything British and did praise British poets. This became their Achilles heel and they were branded pro-British elites and cowards. Yeats was labelled as an imperialist who had gone over to the enemy, while Tagore was attacked for writing works that were overly influenced by Western models and not springing from the national heart. By 1907, both withdrew from national movements. Their nationalism, however, was sincere. In 1919, Tagore was so disgusted with the British government after the killing of 379 innocent people in the Jallianwala Bagh massacre that he renounced the knighthood he had received four years earlier. They both argued against the ideas of nationalists. Yeats often butted heads with Eamon de Valera, who was named first president of the Irish Republic during the War of Independence. Valera hoped to recreate a Puritan and provincial country inspired by Catholic values and a healthy peasant lifestyle. Back home, Tagore, despite being the first person to call Gandhi a Mahatma, vehemently disagreed with Gandhi's idea of India, where all people lived in the countryside and farmed land with the same kind of plough that existed thousands of years ago, inhabited small villages in the same kind of cottages as they had for centuries and had no modern technology or medicine, no cities or industries, and no higher education. This homogenization in their view was dangerous because it would alienate minorities and encourage violence. The Hindu revivalism in India and the Catholic revivalism in Ireland would lead to gross social and economic injustice. Both believed that their countries would gain real independence as soon as they successfully adopted a national identity that transcended the limits of space and time by combining features of the modern and traditional world. But the most intriguing part about the parallels between the thoughts of these two men was that these were formulated in isolation. Till 1912, they had never even met. And yet two intellectuals in completely different cultural milieus independently arrived at very similar ideas of a cosmopolitan nationalism. Because one thread connected them which connects so many of us today. Travel Yeats alternated between living in Ireland, England and France, while Tagore was constantly on the move throughout the entire world. Both also participated in social and professional communities that provided places for artists and scholars from many nations to interact as equals. In London, 
Yeats's circle included natives not only of Ireland, England, America and Europe, but also of India and Japan. In Calcutta, Tagore socialized with citizens of all those places as well as with individuals who had a more hybrid sense of national identity, such as half British, half Sri Lankan Ananda K. Kumaraswamy and Irish woman turned Hindu nun Sister Nivedita. In a globalized open world, which is moving towards the worst kind of naked, violent nationalism. We need to revisit the ideas of Tagore and Yeats. As travelers, we must consider embracing the cosmopolitan nationalism they espoused. Because while we may not be alive to see the ultimate effects of virulent nationalism, we must heed the words on the epitaph of Yeats's grave, which says, Cast a cold eye on life, on death. Horsemen, pass by. Our existence on earth is only a sliver in the immutable march of time. But as the horseman passes by, I hope it remembers us for a nationalism we could all be proud of. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media We are at IVM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YV Travel 42 on Instagram. 